Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. Well, we have a very short time here together today, and with it, I want us to continue in our Summer Vibe series. We began at the beginning of the summer talking about love God, then we moved to the middle of the summer talking about love others, and now we're in that last part, serve both. This part of a sermon series I've been going through all summer long has been about taking God's love for us and our growing love for Him, God's love for others and our growing love for them, and putting it into practice. How do we take this love that God has placed in us and is pouring through us and make it real in life around us, make it visible, make it something that's true and a reality? And the way we do that is through service. Now, when you come to church and for the second week in a row, you're hearing serve, you need to be serving. I don't know about you, but my tendency is to feel like, okay, y'all gonna keep adding to my to-do list. Thank you very much, I need more things to do. And, And really that's because, I mean, I don't know what your relationship with the church has been through your life, uh, but when it comes specifically to church serving, my relationship with the church has been uh, maybe a little complicated, I guess, I don't know. You see, my dad was always a deacon in our churches growing up, and so he was all, we were always the family that showed up early and stayed late and did all the different things. But then when I was nine years old, my dad accepted a pastoral position of Calvary Baptist Church in Aviano, Italy, the country. And so we packed up everything we had, and we flew and moved our family to Italy. And my dad and my mom had a specific passion to reach uh, a very specific niche group of people, the United States men and women stationed overseas with our armed forces and anyone who spoke English in the area. So we had Ghanaians and Nigerians in our church, and it was a beautiful, diverse community of people, but it was a niche group to try and reach, and so it was a small community. It was a small church, and that resulted in the necessity, the need that the pastor's son be on literally every serving team in the church. I mean, you name it, I was on all the serving teams. Uh, When I was 10 years old, I didn't attend VBS. I served in VBS. I mean, I was working the sound booth by the time I was 11 and 12, waiting to push play on the CD player at the right moment because we didn't have live musicians. I was on the fire stoking crew because we heated the church building with a wood fireplace in the wintertime. I enjoyed that job. That was pretty fun. Um, But there were some jobs I did not like as much, and one in particular as really bothered me. And that was being on the janitorial lawn crew. And and the reason I didn't like that wasn't because it was just cleaning toilets and that kind of stuff. It was the time at which it happened. You see, our church was was placed, it was was in a vineyard there at the base of the Dolomite Mountains in a picturesque, beautiful place to grow up. But it had a huge field out in front and our rental agreement said, we had to mow the grass. I had to mow the grass. 
And the mower we had, I'm not kidding, was this horrible old, like literally the body of the push mower was rusted in half and it would flex and flop over bumps. It was unsafe, it was horrible, but that's what we had, that's what I had, so that's what we had to get the job done with. It would take me four hours to mow the grass and then another hour and a half with the weed eater to trim around all the edges and stuff. And that was my Saturday all summer long. So on Friday night, when all my friends were having sleepovers to have Halo 2 parties and play Call of Duty Black Ops, I was going to bed early to get up and go mow grass. And then after I finished mowing grass and I'm tired, I had a little bit of rest time in the afternoon, in, in the evening, to go to bed early again, to get up early again, to go to church and do all the stuff at church. And as a teenager, it really began to frustrate me. I remember one day in particular, I was out mowing grass and whew, I was done. I just started yelling at my mower, yelling over top of my mower, this is miserable. All my friends right now are out riding their bikes, they're playing Halo 2, they're doing great stuff, and here I am, literally covered in grass clippings, covered in sweat. This is my whole summer. My whole summer is gone. Why? Because dad needs the grass to look nice for the church people on Sunday. And if the grass doesn't look nice for the church people, they're not gonna love Jesus. I just, I'm telling you, I'm being real with you, I was done completely done. As a 15-year-old boy, I paused to take a breath to start yelling again, and in that pause, in a way that only the Holy Spirit can do, in this kind of gentle kindness, he said to me, Andrew, you're 100% right. As long as you're doing this for your dad, you're going to be miserable. As long as you're doing this for the church people, you're going to be miserable. But Andrew, I have something in this for you that is so much better. In this menial task, you can experience me, the full sense of fulfilling joy that I love to pour through you. If you'd be willing to do this for me, with me, and like me. That day, stands to me as a monument of, in my walk with Christ. I look back to it frequently because on that day, I accepted God's dare. And I said, okay, fine. I'll give it a try. And I remembered being taught in Sunday school about how Paul and Silas in the prison prayed and sang songs to Jesus when they were having a hard time. All right, I'll praise and sing songs too. And so instead of shouting and yelling over my push mower, I began to sing the hymns and the Christian songs that I knew. When I ran out of songs to sing, I started praying. I'm telling you, God did something inside of me that day that I look back and remember frequently. I began to be filled with a sense of fulfillment, with a sense of purpose and joy that I had never experienced before. I, got, I accepted Christ as my Savior right before I turned five years old. Ten years later, here I am, for the first time in my life, experiencing this beautiful blend of service and worship, fulfillment and joy. It was such a powerful moment that I got in the car. My mom looked at me, and I had tear stains with the dirt in my face, and she said, you okay? And I went, I'm fine, I'm fine. I vividly remember on that drive home, telling God, if this is what serving you feels like, I don't care what it looks like, I'll do it. I'll chase this feeling, and I have. And I'm telling you today, 
God desires for you to experience, like I did, a fulfilling joy in your life through service. Through service. This morning, I want us to take a few minutes together to reorient ourselves to three specific joy-filled realities of service. Here's what they are. The first one is, serving is a community you join, not a job you're given. Second, serving is a purpose you receive, not an expectation placed upon you. And serving is an identity you embrace, not an existence you endure. Let's begin looking at serving as a community you join, not a job you have to perform, do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church community that's really been struggling around this idea of service. Everyone's been serving themselves. They've been living a self-service Christianity, and it's resulted in a very divided church, a very selfish church. And Paul's got all these issues he's trying to address with them. And he's, in, in chapter 12, he's like, Okay, we need to reframe how you think about what serving is. And so he begins by giving this beautiful illustration of the church of Jesus Christ, the community of God, as a, as a body. And he says in verse number 12 of chapter 12, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we all were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. He's saying, listen, you're used to living this individualistic lifestyle where you gotta look out for you. I'm telling you, you're in a new community now. This isn't a new job that you've signed up for and you gotta make sure you check all, this, all the aspects of your job description. This is a community. This is a body that you've come together with. You have a place here. This is your community writing on the same topic and talking about the same kind of things in the book of Ephesians to that church. In chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says this. He puts it kind of a different way. He says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by trickery of men in cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ for whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself, the building up of itself in love. What I love is the emphasis about how we are all in a community here for one another, we're here for each other. We're here to serve and be served. It's a back and forth relationship. It's a give and a take, not just a take. What I love about our church, my church, Southern Hills, is that we're a multi-generational church. We say that a lot, but what does that mean? Well, that means in a world that loves to divide us by generations, we love to unite by generations. We love to bring the strengths of everyone together into one room, into one setting, and thrive on them. What does that look like? Well, it looks like, it looks like the nursery right now. If you were to go to the nursery and walk by and look in the windows, you'll see three generations serving together. 
You'll see some young girls being led and taught by their mothers and maybe even their grandmothers in there on how to care for children, led and cared on how to love other people, you people right now in this service. You'll see, if you were to go to our Uptown service right now, or for our six to 11-year-olds, um, if you go next hour, you'll see Miss Nancy there. Miss Nancy is a beautiful picture of this multi-generational aspect, this community of the believers. You see, she, she came and she joined the Uptown having been a believer for a long time, but not having worked with elementary kids much. She was really nervous, but I'm telling you, she's created a beautiful community there. She's created a beautiful community there. She, she shows up with things, to, with crayons. She shows up with activity paper. She shows up with extra things for the kids because she's there for them. She's there for them. And what's beautiful is to see her sit across the table from six and seven-year-olds and listen to them grieve about their gecko that died and, and sympathize with them and, and share God's truth about how we endure suffering with them. But at the same time, she has these teen, there's a group of teenage boys in that service, and they are learning how to work hard, to pay attention to details, and serve those under them from Miss Nancy. She's, they don't even realize it, but they're being apprenticed in Christ-like service by her. You see, a multi-generation church like ours has this beautiful thing that happens where the strength the enduring spirit, the faithfulness of one generation is combined with the creativity and energy of another generation, and you find a powerful force in that. You have a place in this community. This is your church. Get connected to the serving community here. You need to because it's where God's gonna begin to reveal your purpose. You see, your service within the community will reveal in you a passion. And that passion is something that God's going to use not just within the church, but it's going to grow out into the rest of your life. If you're a teenager or a young adult, you need to be connected to serving in your church community because it's there that he's going to reveal, he's going to fill you with a sense of fulfilling joy when you say, I'm going to do whatever causes this. And then he's going to, you're going to do something that's going to cause that sense of fulfilling joy. You go, oh, I can major in something that'll help me do this. I can, I can, my occupation can be something that is, is focusing me on enabling me to live fulfilling joy. Man, maybe you're, you're in my stage of life and you're super busy, you got young kids. This still needs to be a place where you find time to serve because it's here that I have found in my serving, continual service, that the Lord has honed and focused my passions for him, directed them and, and made, made them more specific. It's also here for you, my elder brothers and sisters. You have more value to add now than you've ever had in your life. You've given so much, but you have more to give. You're at your most valuable to the community right now. There are some young people in here who need to be under your apprenticeship. There's some children who need to see a grandmother, need to see a grandfather in their faith. Model for them what a full life of living for Jesus looks like. What pushing to the end feels like and is modeled like. We're a beautiful multi-generational church. If you're not connected in serving, oh, I'm telling you, this is, 
it's not, we're not going to give you a job description and say, this is all the things you have to do to be a good Christian. No, no, no. This is a community you join where you will be served and blessed as you serve and bless. Serving isn't a job that Jesus is giving you. Serving is a community he's connected you to. It's important that you serve in the community you've been joined to because it's here you're going to begin to receive your purpose. You see, serving is not just a community you've joined. It's a purpose you're going to receive. Not an expectation placed on you, a purpose you'll receive. Look what Paul says. He continues in the passage by saying that you have an individual purpose. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. He's putting them right where he wants them. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. He's saying, you have an individual purpose in this church community. You have an individual purpose here that is unique to you, just as you are a unique individual. When I, when I, when I read this passage and I thought about this truth, the Lord reminded me of my own wife's story. My wife, Carrie, is, is a, oh man, what a joy she is to me. What a, what a gift of God she is. And I'm telling you, to watch her journey in this area has been beautiful. You see, she's like me. She's a pastor's kid. She grew up in a church. Her dad was the pastor, and she had this feeling of it's expected of me to be on stage. She had a little, a little musical ability, and so it was, she felt this expectation to play the piano, to sing with her sisters, and all these things, and this, this, this feeling of that's what I need to do. But she would get up and she would do it, and she would, she would have to memorize her sheet music because she was so nervous her hands would shake too much to grab onto a page and turn it. She couldn't hold her own sheet music because her hands would shake so obviously. Before singing, she would literally lose her voice out of nervousness backstage. It wasn't her purpose. It wasn't her purpose. She felt this was the expectation of what I need to do. So I gotta get up there and I gotta work through the nerves and I gotta push through it even though I feel drained and I feel like my life is drained out of me by having to do this. But she's found a purpose in the nursery. So much so that she's not just the nursery director here at Southern Hills Church, but when she and I were serving on the pastoral staff at a church in Michigan, she chose to be the nursery director there. She has found and received a purpose in serving young moms like herself, in being there for them, and giving them the confidence that a mother like you is watching your children right now. That someone who cares for your children, who understands how hard it is for you to, to leave them with someone, someone who understands that is the one who's leading and overseeing our policies, our procedures in this area. She's found in this a purpose, and she walks out fulfilled. I'm telling you, my wife is hardly ever angry, but she, is, gets, she gets angry when something keeps her from coming to serve you in the nursery. I'm telling you, this is the truth. If our kids are ill, she is frustrated because she wants to be at church because her purpose is here, serving you. She's a wonderful person. You should get to know her. You have an individual purpose. But not only is it an individual purpose, Paul goes on to say you have an indispensable function. He says, and I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can, again can the head to the feet, I have no need of you, no, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. 
And on our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. What is Paul saying in this, this passage? What he's saying is, you may not like the way your nose looks, but you still want to have a nose. You still want it to work well. You st- you're not just going to get rid of it because it doesn't look nice in your eyes. You may be sitting out here today as I'm talking about receiving a purpose from God and serving and thinking, well, that's nice for somebody with gifts, someone with abilities and talents. I mean, look at you. I'm telling you, I felt the exact same way. I mowed the lawn and felt that incredible sense of, Lord, I told him, if this is what serving you feels like, I'm going to do this, but I had no idea what it looked like. I knew what it felt like to be in God's will, being fulfilled and filled with joy, but I didn't know what it would look like. So I went to college, and I chose the most bland major I could choose because I had no idea, and I didn't want to be end up behind just because my freshman year I had no idea what I was supposed to do. Coming to the end of my freshman year, still not really confident that this major was the right major or what major could be the right major or what God's will for me was long-term, just really struggling, feeling useless, feeling useless. One of my teachers had a graduate performance, and she was a beautiful musician, beautiful voice, and I went and attended to support her, and I'll be honest, I didn't enjoy it at all. She was up there singing so beautifully, and I was sitting in the back of the room saying, man, it must be nice to have gifts something to give God to serve him. I got up and left. I walked out into the darkness of the night behind some of the the buildings where I was alone and Yuli again yelled out into the night, God, I am useless to you. I can't do anything. I'm not good at anything. I'm not smart at math. I'm not good at English. I'm not good at music. I have nothing to offer you. And just like in the yard five years before, that still small voice of the Holy Spirit said, Andrew, you talk a lot. 100%, those are his words to me. You talk a lot. Maybe you can just try doing that. Maybe that's enough for me. Why don't you talk for me, talk about me, talk with me, talk like me? I said, sweet, I'm gonna be a Christian school history teacher. And by the end of the summer, the Lord had confirmed in my heart that this was the path he had for me. I know what it feels like to feel like you've got nothing to give God. But I'm telling you, you have an individual purpose here. You have an indispensable, valuable thing to add to this community. I've felt that feeling like I've got nothing to give. I've been there, and I'm telling you, God has something. If he had something for me, he's got something for you. But what is it? Are you engaged in the community of believers to discover that, to unearth? Our purpose is not something that we make for ourselves or is assigned to us. It's something that we unearth, we dig out, we, through serving in the community of the church, God imparts to us, reveals and opens our eyes to see. I love how in his book, Garden City, John Mark Comer, author and pastor, says it like this. We need to learn to embrace our potential and our limitations because both of them are signposts pointing us forward into God's calling on our life. 
This is a fantastic book. If you're, if you're someone who's been wrestling with this, what should I do? What should, what's the purpose of work in my life? Get this book and read it. It's super good. But what is he saying here? He's saying, like my wife, she, she tried this, and it was a signpost in her face saying, you have limitations. This is not something that you're good at. But then she turned, and she found nursery work, and it said, this is something you have a purpose in. And she's found God's purpose for her life. I felt the same way. I looked at what other people were doing. I looked at all the things that I tried and I said, I have a lot of limitations. But then I looked over and God said, but you have one strength. You talk a lot. <laughs> and I found a purpose. They directed me to where God needed me to be. He'll do the same for you. I love it when young adults and teenagers will come into uh, the kids' ministry, especially over in Uptown in our 6 to 11-year-old program. They'll come over, and about two weeks into serving over there, I'll start to see they're not going to stay. They have something they want to say to me. They don't want to say it. And eventually they'll they'll get the courage to come up to me, and they'll go, "Uh, Pastor Andrew, um, I love what you're doing here, and I think it's so valuable. And and you can just tell. They're... They're trying to tell me, I don't want to stay here long term, right? I'm ready to move and try a different ministry. And they don't, what they don't realize is that excites me. It doesn't depress me. It doesn't frustrate me. It energizes me to know, hey, they just checked off one of their limitations, and now they're going to continue pursuing something else. They're going to try coffee shop now. They're going to try greeting out front. They're going to try maybe the sound booth or ushering. They're going to try something else, maybe just a different age group. That's awesome because as they continue trying different things, experimenting, they're going to discover their purpose. They're going to receive it from the Lord, and he's going to empower them to do it. That excites me because I know what it feels like to live and experience the fullness of joy in fulfillment service. Serving is a community you've joined. Serving is a purpose you're gonna receive from God. Finally, purpose is an identity you embrace. Not an existence you endure. My problem mowing the grass when I was 15 was I was in an existence that I had to endure until I got out of the house and moved back home. It was an existence I was living, not an identity I was embracing. Just last week, Pastor Caleb preached from Matthew chapter 20 and verse like 25 to 28. I want us to go back to that passage again because there's so much in there that we need to dig out. In this passage, Jesus is reorienting his disciples' understanding of serving. And he's telling them, you're not going to be this oppressive, top-down, do-what-I'm-telling-you kind of leader that you're used to it interacting with. Rather, he says in verse number 26, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I love what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, listen, listen, you need to be serving. I'm the Son of Man. If you don't know the massive implications of that term. Go to Daniel chapter 7 and read 14 through 16. This is the guy to whom the Ancient of Days has given 
all a dominion and all authority and all power that all nations and peoples and tongues and languages should serve him. And he says, this is who I am. What I am is the son of man, but who I am is a servant. What I am is the son of man, who I am is a servant. And I'm not telling you, do what I'm telling you. I'm the son of God to whom all authority has been given. I know what's best for you. Just do what I'm saying. Instead, he says, guys, look at my example. I'm just asking you to live the way I live. And in fact, this to me is one of the most misunderstood things about serving in all the world is that when God tells you to serve, it's never because he's this king on high saying, come bow before me. It's always because this is the way I live. Let's go look at the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the same thing as the New Testament. 1 Samuel 12, 24, your classic angrier Old Testament God. What does he say? Only fear the Lord and serve him with in truth, with all of your heart. Seems a little overbearing, but why? Why should I live that way? Why should I be this way? For consider what great things he has done for you. The call to serve is merely a call to embrace your identity in the image of God. He is a servant, and he merely asks you to join him in living the way he lives. To, to live for him, live with him, live like him. Genesis chapter 126, God created us in his own image after his own likeness. That likeness is the likeness of a servant. As long as we continue to resist the very way that God has designed us to function as a servant, we're never going to experience fulfilling joy in our lives. You may be able to manufacture through something for a short time, but in the end, you're just going to experience desolation of soul, for you have denied the very image of who you are. Serving is an identity we embrace. This is who God's made me to be, because he's made me to be like him, and this is who he is. I love again, I got to go again to John Mark Comer's book, Garden City. Seriously, if you're interested in learning more on this topic, get that book. He says this on this subject. He says, yes, Jesus was the temple of what Godness looks like. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus of Nazareth. But the mystery of the incarnation is that he was also the template for what real, true humanness looks like. He's the son of God, and he's the son of man, if you want to know what a human being fully awake and alive, ruling over the world as a conduit of the creator's love looks like in flesh and blood, then look at Jesus. The more like Jesus we are and the more like the image of God we are, the more people see of God's glory. He has created you to be like himself. He's not asking anything of you. He does not do much more of himself. Serving is not a part of our existence, which we must endure. It is what we were created to do, to be. Serving is a fundamental part of the image of God in you. He has created you to emulate his own service, thus you will never be fulfilled as you begin serving as he has made you to be. Some of you may be sitting here and say, well, I'm already serving, and I haven't experienced that yet. Try something else. Don't quit serving Try serving a different way. Pastor Jason's not going to be mad if you go to him and say, I want to try a different serving team. 
I'm not going to be mad at you if you come to me and say, I've been on your team for a while. I just feel like trying something different. That's okay. That's good. That's healthy. Because you should be experiencing fulfilling joy in your service. I don't know. I don't know how you're feeling coming into the service today, but I know God wants something for you, and He wants you to experience fulfilling joy. Perhaps you came in today and you've been feeling more like your church attendance is, is just, it's part of your job as a good Christian. If you don't come at least every other week, then, well, you're a bad Christian. Man, serving as a community you've joined, I've, I, I, I've felt the same way. 100% I felt the exact same way about church attendance. But then I got connected to serving more and found there's a beautiful community here that I want to be a part of that needs me in a good way, not a demanding way. Perhaps you came in today and you've been wrestling with a lack of purpose. A lack of purpose. You feel like I've got nothing to give God. I don't know what to do with my life. This new stage of life I'm entering into, I'm not sure how to use it for God or what it's for. Start experimenting with serving in the community so you can receive that purpose from the Lord. We find our purpose through serving. Perhaps you're in the middle of an identity crisis. You're exhausted from looking to your job, your, your major in college, your, a relationship, a, a hobby, a, a movie franchise for a source of identity. This is who I am, where I belong, acceptance of myself, acceptance from others. I've been there too. I have. I'm telling you, embrace the identity God has created for you. The identity of the image of himself the image of a servant. Give that a try. Give it a try today. I can't sit up here and tell you this is where you should be serving. This is where you fit into the body. I can't do that from up here. But what I can do and what I will do is after this service, I'll stand by that next step banner. And if you come talk to me, I'll set up a meeting with you. I'll talk with you right there. I'll pray with you right there that God will help lead you into this journey. I'll go with you through the journey because I've experienced fulfilling joy. I've, as the psalmist says, tasted and seen that God is good. And I want you to taste the same thing. It is so good to live with God, serve with God, serve like God and with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great goodness to us. We thank you for your incredible blessings, that you are a God whose yoke is easy, whose burden is light, because it's full of a satisfying sense of identity, full of a meaningful sense of purpose, full of a beautiful picture of community. Father, I do ask that you would please help us today as we seek to honor, love, and serve you, that, Father, we would be for you who you call and make us to be. Father, we love you so much, and we are in such great need of your help. Father, I ask that if there's anyone out there who this message has touched, that you would give them the courage to walk up to the next up banner and talk to me so that I can help them a little bit more than just giving them information from a stage, but walk with them through this in life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. 
If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.